<laughs> Let's go. All right. So uh, welcome, everybody, to the Alpha Alpha podcast presented by ZBiotics. We are four entrepreneur investor friends seeking the edge or the Alpha Alpha and money and meaning. We are Armand Asadi, Eric Johansson, Steven Cesaro. I'm Nick Urbani. We have no Armand today. Uh, like we mentioned, um, Armand is in Techstars mania still. So we support him in that. And uh, maybe he'll be back next week. Um, I won't be here next week, by the way. I think I told you guys. You got a big trip coming up. Yeah, we're going to uh, Nepal, Bhutan, and Thailand. So it's going to be epic. Oh, the happiest place on earth. It's also. I can't wait for the download of that episode. I, I think it's going to be good. Be, yeah. I think there'll be some, some unique stuff in there because it's also one of the most um, isolated places on the earth. Like, they don't necessarily incorporate, you know, other local you know, nearby countries, economies in there, but they do charge 200 bucks a day to be a visitor. Just to be there? Just to be there. Wait, what? Yeah. Damn. It comes with a guide. He'll drive you around or wow. she. Wow. But, um, but I yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So anyway. My happiness is decreasing. <laughs> <laughs> but I like it. It's like a little sustainable <laughs> little area. And they're like, if you want to come disrupt our sustainable area, it's going to cost you. Um, what's up to the chat? Uh, Jordan, is that thing live? Is yeah. it the chat live? If you're in the chat and let you have us, not yet liked the stream, please also like the stream. let us know if we sound good and everything's all good. You I haven't, guys, heard, I haven't seen anybody complaining. Seriously, so. quiet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what's up, Dan? Left Side Capital, Tunsky, Miles. I saw Tyler in there. Adam, what's up? Thanks, guys, for uh, for joining us. Absolutely. Um, yep. Yeah, uh, support the pod. Uh, you can donate and get your comment on the screen. Go to streamlabs.com/slash. Alpha Alpha Pod and any donations over nine dollars, screen pops over Steven's head. So feel free to poke fun, make fun, uh, ask us a question, whatever it may be. And you can get all the links at alphaalphapod.com. All right, we have a smattering of drinks today. We didn't really go with like a single bottle. Yeah, we got we're all over the board here. We've been keyed off the uh, I, I the hard alcohol for yeah, a bit. Yeah, I feel like uh, I'm gonna have to like bring this back. I feel like people are slacking here. Yeah, yeah, tighten it up again. Ever We've, since I ever since I came with the the ice and the old fashions, like I thought that would like light a fire under everybody's ass, and then no, I just had well, the, we've been like Modelo. one gone for like so many episodes in a row. It's hard to keep the. It feels like rotation. I've been gone forever, honestly. Yeah, yeah we uh, we back to Modelo's like and ranch water, so kind of kind of pathetic. This is what happens when I'm gone. I see. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> okay, falling apart, okay, dude. Okay, yeah, uh, you're right. Unbelievable. Right. I knew uh, I was the glue. <laughs> all right, so let's give a shout out to our uh, sponsor, Zbiotics. So, um, yeah, still one of the best alphas. I got, I got to admit though, uh, I ran out in the office, so I have not taken. A you're going raw today. Yeah, I'm flying blind right now. This is I don't bad. Like it. So, this happens every. This happened like two months ago. Armand and I went without a Z-Biotics, and then we learned our lesson again why we don't drink without it. So I'm going to a little steak dinner tonight with my buddy Sean, oh, and wow. uh, I think I'm going to relearn that lesson tomorrow morning. All right. I look forward to that um, report. But, you know, <laughs> what better ad read uh, to, to listen to than uh, the founder, Zach Abbott's interview that we published last week on Wednesday at 5 p.m.? So if you haven't listened to that, uh, check it out. Uh, we forced him to do the ad read. And it was hilarious. He, he, did, he did pretty good. He, he did, did all right. He did all right. Better than uh, we've ever done it, that's for sure. Yeah, but uh, you could tell Zach was, uh, I mean, obviously like off the charts, IQ smart. He came with a lot of knowledge on. Uh, that, that was a great episode, by the way. I thought I, it was I one of our best. I listened to it as a passive listener. 
I know. It's sad that it got it got fewer views on YouTube than our normal episodes. Um maybe because we're not talking about number go up. Yeah. I think that uh, might have been it. <laughs> but it was great. It had like so much stuff in it that I didn't know. I oh, felt personally attacked by the charcoal comments. I was like, well, I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah, personally attacked. Because you were the one that put me on the charcoal. I, I swear it works, though. <laughs> placebo, uh, placebo is a real hey, thing. Like, placebo or not, whatever. I don't, I don't care. Yeah, what do we... What do we uh, Get what we'd uh, myth bust in that one. There was he charcoal. Said you need like, yeah, he said you need to like two kilograms of charcoal <laughs> yeah, in your tummy. To um, milk thistle, myth busted. Uh, just drinking a bunch of water, drinking water, myth busted. Doesn't, yeah. Um, and then uh, electrolytes, obviously, myth busted. So he was, uh, he was lukewarm on uh, one particular item called like or- oriental raisin tree or oh, something. Yeah, yeah, you're right, which, uh, <laughs> which I went and ordered immediately too. Yeah. That, but, uh, I, I heard that, and uh, it just just went right through my head. I'd never <laughs> heard of that before. <laughs> yeah, so if you guys want to um, check out, like, step-by-step step what happens in your body when you drink, what the toxins in your gut do, and obviously how Z-Biotics, like, gets rid of that toxin in your gut and how that affects, you know, the rest of your body, especially the next day, um, definitely check out that episode. And then go to zbiotics.com slash alfalfa for 15% off your first purchase. Okay. So we obviously didn't talk about number go up in that episode. I think we're going to talk a little bit number More. go down in this episode. So plummet the views, send them down. to zero. Uh, um, okay, so today we're going to do a little markets. We got a little, little Cold War talk coming up. And then uh, there's been a book in the Alfalfa book club in the Discord that has caught everyone's attention. And uh, we want to give it a, a nice little, uh, I don't know, Overview, but also that might become a recurring thing because Stephen, you were telling me yesterday that the the thesis for this book is kind of why this podcast might exist and and what yeah. is a through line. Yeah, the it. whole book could be like our manifesto. It just fits in so nicely with like what we do. Seriously, and why That's we true. do it. Um, and you certainly can't cover the whole thing in one no. segment. So yeah, it'd be cool to just talk about it from time to time because it is. Like what we believe in, I think. Agreed. Agreed. Okay, so I'm gonna kick off the little market segment. Um, I made a few moves. I sold those um, SPY calls that I that I made. Uh, you know, the bet was we were kind of like coming down that 200-day moving average. And Wait, hold up. When you say you sold calls, you meant you were long calls and yeah. then you exited. I you closed them out. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. I thought oh, you, 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 yeah, when you said like I sold calls, it's like, oh, well, I basically sell the open versus bearish, sell the close. Know? Yeah, yeah, I sold the close. Yeah. Good thing I pressed sold the close, by the way, on that on that TD Ameritrade <laughs> yeah. button because I could have gone uh, hourly. Wait, so when did you buy? I think it was two weeks ago. A, so you bought, you just made a little swing from that, that move yeah, on the Yeah, because I was like, man, I don't think we're going lower right away. Like nothing in the economy was like going to like send us, send us lower, but, um, I saw this 200-day moving average, and I was like, we might see a, a nice little bump off it. And I didn't want to shift the portfolio, you know, completely. So I was like, well, I'll just buy this call for a hedge. And uh, did a nice little 40% return over two weeks. Did his job. Probably going to go higher, but, like, I don't know about you guys. But whenever I have a win in options, which is not too frequent, i just happy to close it green. So, so um, huge, huge key in options trades is that, when price gets to these like support or resistance areas, like the really high time frame ones, it's good to just like either. I mean, generally with with options, it's good to just like close the trade. I find because like you have the time value to worry about, and it depends on if it's like a super long dated one. January, 
Yeah, it, but if like the expiry. time is like yeah January, like if it bounces around there for a couple of weeks, like, that that time decay kind of kills you. Yeah, so might as well just take the take the dub and it's a good dub and move friend. on. Yeah, um, a few other things. I started moving. I uh, moved ten percent of my Bitcoin stack to to ETH. So I was looking for this like ETH to Bitcoin ratio level starting at 0.055. It hit that. I think it's going to continue going lower. And, you know, if it does, then I'll continue to increase. Maybe next round do 25% of the stack. Buying the dip on yeah, ETH. on ETH. Right. And if you hadn't listened to that last episodes, basically the reason is this next cycle, I don't I'd rather hold ETH than Bitcoin. I, I don't know if the market will kind of come around to the security issue that that bitcoin has long term but it might be two more cycles from now or just call it five plus years from now when the market does i just don't want to be around for that uh that narrative and east mm. higher beta likely so might as well hold that ah tonsky coming in papa he, he owns that leaderboard, man. He, he <laughs> fucking. We need to rename it the Tunsky leaderboard. <laughs> yeah, the Tunsky leaderboard. Oh, thank you, sir. Uh, since we got to see each other so recently, I see your big smile in, in my mind every time. So thanks, bruv. Appreciate that. Love you. Um, yeah, I got some thoughts on. I mean, we should have a little discussion on ETH BTC. Cool. Let's do it. Not necessarily now, because I want to. Do you want me to pull up one of your old tweets, or is that too? Keep a. Keep um, <laughs> okay. Hold on, hold on. It <laughs> sounded gonna, like a. It was a poke. It, it was, was like a, a poke. layup almost to. Uh, maybe okay. The other turn thing I did, dump. I only did one other thing, is I sold my GBTC in my SEP IRA. Um, I don't know. The discount closed. Uh, I don't know if there's too much higher we can go in the short term. It narrowed. Fifteen percent. Um, so anyway, I just closed it out, turned to cash in the IRA, and I don't know. We'll just see kind of what happens. Let it sit in the money market account. But anyway, those are the things I did. Um, if you want to stay on crypto, we can. And no, no, no we'll, we'll bounce back. We'll bounce back. Good I, moves. I like the moves. I like the. Uh, I like starting to go from ETH to Bitcoin here. Um, we talked about said a little more yesterday. When I, there's like this is like a, a a level where there's a lot of demand. Yeah, we're at a. I mean, I guess we could pull up the chart if we have it. Um, just throw it up there. Yeah, this is like kind of 0.05. Oh my God! Yeah, good luck reading that without having a seizure. Sorry, I didn't get you a clean chart. It's got is, like is that the ETH BTC chart? Yes. I mean, I recognize it, but it your charts look like they're having a seizure compared Ooh. to mine. There, <laughs> so, <laughs> there's there's two zones here on the chart you want to look at. the The first is that shaded. Is that green? Okay, the green. Yeah, very colorblind. <laughs> so, colorblind. That's why I have the blue and uh, white candles. Um, that's not white. Narrator. <laughs> They're Wait, not, white. not white. No, there's, those are not white lines. <laughs> the candles aren't white? You have dark blue and light blue. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> this the, I didn't realize the, the depth of your despair when yeah. it comes to colorblindness. Wow. Okay, well, that would probably be a lot easier to uh, see if I had white. So I will update that. But... Uh, <laughs> yeah, main thing here is that, that green shaded rectangle. That is basically sort of like the line in the sand zone. Like we had this huge move up last summer um, coming into the merge. 
right? We, if you recall last summer, we had a similar thing happen where the ratio nuked and everybody was like, it's over, ETH is dead. All the Bitcoin, the, the Bitcoin maxis had like a death of ETH party on Twitter spaces and it marked like the bottom to like the hour, basically. <laughs> and then we just turbo, rever turbo reverse. So um, we've been kind of just slowly dying in the ETH ratio since then, kind of filling this. We had this like inefficient move up. So there's all of this kind of area that was never bid. We're tracing all through it. If you've been shorting since the top, like you are just, you've never had a stop run. Like it's just like lower high, lower high, lower high, lower high, lower high. Um, but this, this is sort of like the last line in the sand here. So if we don't bounce here, like we're going to 035, I think. Because okay. if you look lower on the chart, like you can kind of see that down move before like the huge move up in the, the bull market around like 0.035. That is like an untested area of demand that I, I think will hold if we if we go to that. And it is, there's a good chance we could go to that. But I think the zone here is probably going to hold. Um, and if not, I think we get a really good bounce for it. If this was a one minute chart and I was trading it, mm -hmm. what I would think is going to happen here, what my bias would be, would be that we would get a big bounce off that level. But then I'd be looking to see if we put in like a lower high towards the top of that range there. Right. Yeah. Because if you sort of look, look what happened here, that move down last summer, that gave us a market structure break to the downside. Like that broke. High time frame structure. Is that where your yellow, yellow un, like kind of U is? You see that like bottom? Yeah, that yeah. little. Yeah, that's that's potentially like a new um, lower low on like the higher time frame, right? And then you see that leg up. We got made a lower high. Yep, right? that was the merge. Yeah. So if you kind of objectively zoom out on this, um, it it's it's bearish, right? Like higher time frame it actually does look like it wants to go to 035 and and i've kind of refined my thinking on this as i've learned more about like trading like the lower time frames and everything i keep diving more into market structure um but but i would expect like a pretty big bounce here actually <laughs> if we just go straight through without bouncing i mean that's so, so if, it, if it does so i bad. shouldn't chase it just kind of stay true to the levels that i outlined before and if could it, does, be, it could be a good trade, like if you get a reaction off this level. I mean, you could trade it and get like a 40, that could be like a 40% move, which wow. is like a pretty big move. So can move. we talk about this? So we're talking about uh, ETH BTC. Mm -hmm. And when when like Bitcoin has a spot ETF that's like looming uh, approval, right? That would be like bullish Bitcoin. That would send this ratio lower. Okay, so my, my generalized thought on this, there's, there's a couple of things here. One, we kind of saw what might happen with the ETF last week because we had like the fake, the fake news thing, and it pumped, and and Bitcoin pumped like twice as much as as ETH did, right? But my generalized thoughts on this is that I I'm, I really think the ETF is going to be like a sell the news event for BTC ETH. And I think that when you look at BTC price versus like ETH price over the last like month or two, like, yes, um, there's been like no transactions on ETH base layer. The, the gas is like five way. I saw looks, single digits. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, yes, all that is happening. And I think there's actually like an interesting discussion to be had there. But I also just think the reason 
Bitcoin has been relatively more strong is that like the market just knows there's like a 90% chance of an ETF and it is front running that event. So while I do still think there'll be like a big pump on the ETF, right? And what happened last week? Like a 10% pump? Yeah, we pumped about 10%, I think. I think we like literally ticked 30,000 to the, to the, to the, to the penny on Coinbase. Um, I think a similar thing will happen, but I think there's a good chance that at that point, like all of the Bitcoin ETH upside has sort of been priced in, and that that could actually be the bottom of ETH uh, ETH BTC because we're gonna make the logical conclusion next that well we have an ETH futures ETF and the Bitcoin spot ETF was basically approved because like it's kind of hard to justify having a futures ETF and not a spot ETF and ETH has a futures ETF so ETH spot ETF next and then. So the market kind of goes. They both kind of pump, but then your view is that they both kind of retrace back down lower. I'm not sure what's going to happen in dollar terms, honestly. Like I could make a case for either happening because there's going to be like structural demand coming in from buyers of the ETF. Yeah, there should be. There should be, and maybe that takes a little while to like actually flow through. Yeah, my my main concern on Bitcoin is like, can we get over like forty thousand? Can we get over that? last kind of like lower high that we put in in like like early 2022 or whatever that to me is like the really interesting level because i do see a scenario where bitcoin goes to like 40k and then goes back down to like 20,000 like i think that path is actually very plausible given what's happening in the world but like i'm not trying to get too far ahead and visualize all that right now i'm just trying to think like what is going to happen over the next couple of months and i think that's like kind of my sweet spot um as an investor so so yeah i I mean i figure like if it does go to that 0.035 like it's going to be in the face of like the most bullish bitcoin news possible and i'm gonna have to like make that trade still in in light of Uh, like 0.35 is like that's a really good level. If I know I already did the calculations on how much ETH I get for turning all my Bitcoin there, and I'm uh, I'm I'm quite excited for it's that. Gonna be, to it's gonna be brutal. And um, then you just uh, stake that ETH. Is that your plan? Or yeah, yeah I think so. Lido boy. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. What'd you do this? Did you make any moves? Uh, nothing. Nothing really noteworthy. Just okay. Cool. Uh, how, well, how the a, how the selling selling options like is the premiums low? Like volatilities. Kind of peaked up a little bit. Premiums like came back a little bit. So last last time we talked, I told you that my scanner, which normally has like 500 uh, results on it on a weekly basis, had like four results. Uh, we're we're back up to like 200 some results. So this is still like low for me, and um, you know it's not a great time to make money selling options. But I'm just picking up my my yeah. scraps where I can. Mm. I still like the sphere. Sphere puts that I, I I'm selling. Okay. So um, I have some expiring this Friday at the 35 strike, which I'm okay buying at 35. If if it goes there, it's probably at like 37 now ish. But um, for November, um, there's pretty good premium selling the 30 strike, which uh, you'd be even happier buying it there. Yeah, and um, you know I like a premium too. So that that's a good one. Sphere Sphere is something I, I, I still want to be long the, on. Uh, I heard the U2 show was great. Yeah, we had uh, two people in Nick's office today. One went to the Planet Earth one, and one went to the U two oh, one, and they both Planet Earth. They both came back with like pretty glowing reviews. Wow, 
Yeah, there's a PPA pickleball tournament in Vegas, like the weekend it opened. So everybody at the tournament went to, <laughs> went to went to the Sphere too, and everybody was kind of talking about it. There was like almost more chatter about like the Sphere than. The <laughs> I wonder if the stock pumps during this Formula One race coming up in Vegas in November because the the racetrack goes around the Sphere. Like you cannot avoid it. You can't oh. avoid it if you're trying to televise the race. So cool. It will. It'll be interesting to see see if anything happens there. Interesting. I like it. Well. I made a actually made a few trade my 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 interactive brokers account is really funny right now because it's got like all my, you know it's got like all my positions in it because I don't organize it properly so just like everything is in there <laughs> just a so I've got like long. my yeah like my long term like investment portfolio and it's just, just red just blood red just red everywhere and then I have this <laughs> other section that's just green 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 and what's that that's the uh, short term trading. So I so I made a bunch of moves last week. I I shorted the Nasdaq. I shorted the Euro, and I effectively shorted Coinbase through 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 options um, as a hedge against your common stock. Yeah, I still have a lot of stock, but I'm mostly delta neutral now. Probably like a little bit long still. Um, I think Coinbase is one that I like is a little tricky to me, but um, can, we, can we pull up the dollar chart? DXY? Yeah, yeah. Man, the you D, you the pretty DXY. much nailed this one, by the way. Yeah, so I know weeks ago I was like, we are taking, or maybe it was months ago now, I'm like, we were taking out those those equal highs there after we ran those lows, and yeah, we turbo took out those highs. Can you give a price number just for people listening? Uh, I can't remember the price number, and my eyes aren't that good. <laughs> What is it like a dollar five, dollar four, probably? Yeah, uh, I think we're trading around a dollar six now. And if you look at the weekly dollar chart, it's just like green candle, green candle, or light blue candle, light blue candle, light blue. <laughs> candle. Like it is, it's pretty much up only. I've got like a dollar eleven as a technical target, um, <laughs> which is like way up there. Um, but I think that would be like a lower high. If if we do get there, like I I know on the show I've kind of zoomed way out on the dollar and looked at the dollar on like multi-year charts and it is this sort of oscillating sequence of like lower highs, lower highs, lower highs, but like these nasty spikes and then like sell-offs and those spikes tend to be times when you know our stuff like Bitcoin does badly and then the sell-off Bitcoin does good and Bitcoin really has been just sort of like an inverted dollar chart for most of its history, which is why I look at this first and like this is one of the easiest charts like i think the bitcoin chart's kind of hard but this this chart is like like a three-year-old could chart this like it's just it's just going up there's no signs of it i'm not going up so the the dollar index is mostly made up of the euro so it's not like any really good ways to kind of like there, there's a dollar etf but i want like leveraged exposure yeah, to the dollar what was that dollar etf uup uup yeah. that's right so yeah you i was gonna ask you why you shorted the euro instead of just Go long because I can't get leverage with like there's not like an ultra short or ultra long dollar and like I'm trying to do this via ETFs. Um, So I found I I I did I did like an Eric move and I I basically bought calls on an ultra short Euro ETF like a three (laughs) x short Euro ETF. So I bought calls on a three x and they're they're printing uh, right now, which has been nice. Love to hear it. Yeah, <laughs> could we pull up the Nasdaq chart? Because I think I, I think a lot of my hesitation with Coinbase definitely comes from the 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 chart the chart of uh, stocks. Like if you zoom out on the Nasdaq, we we basically failed to take out 
um, the prior all-time high. And then we broke we broke weekly structure. Um, so that kind of nasty sell-off we had beginning of the, the beginning of the summer that took out like a pretty critical weekly low. And now, as far as I'm concerned, we're we're in like bearish order flow. So you're kind of selling the rips um, when you get them. I th- th- there's a few levels I've pointed out on the chart. Um, I wish I could remember and read them. <laughs> I need this chart closer together, uh, closer to my eyes. Um, but can we zoom that? What is that? 14, 14, 155? Yep. Yeah. So 14155 zone is, is kind of my first target. I, I almost top ticked the short <laughs> last week. Hopefully that is the the top. Um <laughs> but I'm expecting I'm expecting us to take out those lows. And we've we've got kind of these like equal lows here. If you look on the left side of the chart, that to me is like liquidity. We get an imbalance there on the daily. That that's just like a a magnet for price to me. So that's kind of what I'm first focused on. I have like a lot of a dip is that to 14 one. Uh, what is that? Like four, four percent. Yeah. Another four or five percent ish. Ish. Um, I know that all the way down there, we're looking at like a 12% or so. I think, um, no, the second last target would be like a, like a 12%, uh, dunk. So I think there's a good chance we go, um, sub, sub 14 for sure there was like a little consolidation zone before we broke um that monthly structure on the left there that i think is like a pretty good target for me but we could reverse at any of these levels and like my generalized strategy is to just see what happens around the level and kind of take it from there and just kind of go <clears throat> level to level but but this looks this looks bearish and it looks like it's at least got like a neg- another negative five or so in it and f- for that reason, like when we look at, uh, can, you kill, can you pull up Coinbase? Like I think Coinbase is going to be, you know, tied to the Nasdaq as much as we want it to be, kind of doing its own thing. Nope. 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 <laughs> do we do we have the Coinbase chart? Well, I can ask you a few questions about the NASDAQ <laughs> chart while Jordan sorts it out. You might yeah. have to switch the camera off. There you go. Um, so, you know, the, the NASDAQ is is highly reliant on these seven-ish stocks, right? And I was I was telling you guys yesterday, I saw on CNBC, they broke up the Magnificent 7 to, what was it, the Spicy 3 and the Garpy 4? Sounds ridiculous. So Spicy 3 <laughs> are the volatile ones, like uh, Amazon, Tesla, and NVIDIA. Those are the ones that have a much higher valuation. And then the GARP 4 is um, growth at a reasonable price. So they're, they're still growing, but their PE multiple is, is lower. And that's uh, Google, Meta, Apple, and Microsoft. So those four. I mean, when you, when you look at this chart and you're like, it's bearish, do you take into account that like, these seven were reporting earnings in the next like one to two weeks. So, or do you are you taking that I, into I account, f- or uh, you're just looking at the chart? Not really. I'm just looking at the chart. Okay, I but think- I I take it into account. I and I think like when Steven says we could easily go down four percent, I I'm with Nick. I'm like, of course we can, and I think that it, it almost makes it sort of like a certainty. Well, I say we could easily go down eleven. Yeah, yeah, it'd be even eleven <laughs> percent. I think four is like a given almost. Like when you have these seven stonks that are driving the entire ship and they're also uh, there's like near-term catalysts coming in next week um 
I agree. Like Tes- Tesla earnings were today. Tesla right? earnings I'm were assuming today. Assuming they weren't good because I checked after hours and it. Yeah, the, the stock was up after hours, but I, I was can't, it? I saw it down like fifteen. I think points. during trading hours it was it was up, and then in early after hours it was. Oh, sorry, it was down in normal trading hours. Right. It was up in. No, after so we're hours. down down five percent okay. in normal trading hours and down another four percent in okay, after hours. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, here we go. Um, yeah, it's it. We should talk about Tesla at some point actually, because uh, Rizzy asked me to chart it, and I hadn't looked at it in a while, and I, I pulled it up, and I'm like, oh my god, this looks horrendous. Yeah, like it looks like it's going to forty dollars. And I think Rizzy's a, a kind of like a known Tesla hater too, so yeah, he's mean, probably he's, on, he's on board. Ended, with he's that. entering like he's entering into his. Wait, what did you say? Forty dollars? Yeah, it's at two hundred and forty. I know. Like I'm just I'm just like I'm just telling you it's not what going I, to 40. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to 40. What do you mean? It was just there in like 2020. You you guys think it's like God, I wish we had a Tesla chart right now. Yeah, like I don't think it's insane for some some companies to completely reverse all of the nonsense of the nonsense years. Like I think I, I the think I think crazy. the key with Tesla in particular is that doesn't go back to reality. It just is all nonsense always. That's the point. So like like great hedge fund managers like David Einhorn have like basically lost their careers betting against Tesla based on like this idea that like no it's gonna come back to reality and it just doesn't. Yeah, I mean you could pull up like a like a monthly chart if you have it. Uh I feel like the monthly chart looks you you really clearly see what's happening. Like it is, it is gross. Um, so I, I I agree that it sounds ridiculous to say Tesla's going to forty dollars. <laughs> That's like a negative. What is that like negative eighty percent from here? Um, but like if I didn't show you the name of this chart, and I told you it was like a one minute chart of some like crappy tech company. You would be like, oh yeah, that that is. Yeah, I would look at those liquidity levels, those equal lows that are you know significantly below where we're at today, and say like, like we we annihilated we annihilated high time frame structure with that move down last year, and then we just put in a lower high into this like really huge demand zone. Like we didn't take out that shoulder. Like the next the next logical place I think is at least to test the bottom of where we went last year. Um, it, we could bounce from there. Um, but in reality, the question is sort of like, where is demand, right? And demand was kind of at that, was that like 140 or so level last year? Like kind of, but it went really deep through it. Like it actually traded through it. Like that wasn't, that wasn't like strong, super crazy. So I think this is kind of just like a reaction bounce off that level. But I don't know if that level holds if it gets tested again. And then the next level is like, 40, 50 bucks. It's just crazy to me to think because <laughs> this is not Solana or something. This is like uh, this is like seven hundred billion dollar market but, cap. But but I wonder sometimes like if Tesla, if like the Nasdaq, if they're actually like ahead of crypto. Like this to me could be what an ETH chart looks like in five or six months. Like retesting that like that's the three K shoulder right there. Go up, put in a lower high at the three K shoulder. Like that's a that's a fear I have that we are actually in a very long drawn out process of unwinding this like excess tech like zerp bubble right and like our brains just aren't that good at thinking like it can take that long like we can't conceive of this being like a decade-long process even though that's happened in the past 
Did you um, see uh, Vance Spencer's tweet today? Yeah, I thought that was a good tweet, actually. I actually screenshotted it because I wanted to read it on the pod. Yeah, this oh, is, great. Wait. Let's read it out because I, I thought it was I thought it was kind of like aligned with this conversation right now. Yeah, so Vance tweeted, when, when no millennials slash Zoomers can afford a house and job prospects are limited, don't be surprised when PEs for zeitgeisty tech stocks and crypto go vertical, even with higher rates. Interest rates don't matter to millennials and Zoomers. They have no savings and little prospect to ever have them. Ouch. Even big tech friends are living paycheck to paycheck. All that matters is swinging for the fences, a portfolio optimized for the Instagram lifestyle. This is actually quite rational. Spend more time in Asia and you will understand the crushing paradox for young people. That's a pretty heavy tweet. I mean, we've talked about this, that like it might make sense for younger people to have some safe stuff, but then like basically a barbell approach where you just have full convexity on the other side. Like if things go up, you go up big. Yeah, I, I think I think that's that's true. And also, I think Vance Spencer is probably right, where like you wouldn't see Tesla get crushed because there's just like so many people that just want to pile into Tesla. No, but I think what he's saying is actually a reason Tesla would get crushed because right? there'll be something newer and, and like the reason it's already gone to these unsustainable casino levels is because because it was the zeitgeist yes, at the time is because of these people behaving that way but i think we know that that's not it's not, not sustainable. sustainable yeah and like people aren't going to win like their behavior is rational but it is wildly negative ev right and then there's going to be a new zeitgeist uh you know next year as well yeah, like we've wondered, is there going to be like the zeitgeist over the next decade of like real, real things, you know, like commodities and, and, so can and I, energy? Can I, and can I read a, um, a quote about positioning and valuation I found today? And of course, I found of it, course you can. I found it great because, um, you know, we're talking about these things have extremely high valuations. So this quote is from a Substack called Fallacy Alarm, and mm -hmm. I, I, I subscribe to it. This quote was from the free portion of the article, but. Um, it says, positioning trumps valuation. It ultimately determines valuation. If valuation appears overextended when positioning is not, the analyst should revisit their valuation framework. It feels weird for me to say that. The system has ha hammered all the intricacies of the art of valuation into my brain during business school, the CFA program, Same. and the subsequent decade that I worked in various finance jobs. But I could not be more convinced that the intro above is true. First and foremost, valuation needs to be acknowledged, not traded. Yes. Positioning can be traded. It's full of signal. Short where masses have gone, long where they have come from, mean revert everything. And I don't know. I I, I don't know how to like measure positioning in these <clears throat> in these like. I was hoping you stocks. had. I was hoping you had some data. I, on I positioning. do have some positioning. Have you seen the charts? crowded market report. Which one? Crowded market report. By I forget the guy's name. Jason. His name Jason something. I forget. But I think his newsletter is Crowded Market Report, and he puts out this interesting data. It's basically like uh, large spec, retail spec, and commercial positioning. And he has some thing where he shows when like I, I forgot what his exact um, heuristic is, but when there's like a distribution of like commercial here, and then like large spec or small spec on the other side then that's sort of like a get the fuck out of Dodge signal. Um, I mean, I, I have some or, positioning or data, but it's like on an asset class, like bonds, staples, equities. You can do it via futures. I think the CME like publishes like open interest data. And then they have people late, like you, the people like are labeled as like commercial traders <clears throat> or retail traders or, or, or whatever. Yeah, uh, Jordan, you want to pull up uh, the positioning visual number one? 
So, so this one is basically from this month, and it talks about um, how much overweight hedge fund fund managers are. It's it covers about six. See if you can enlarge that. Um, and it, it covers about six hundred fifty billion dollars. And what it measures is on a standard deviation across the. T- I think it's like the twenty year median positioning. So this is like long time frame. But what you're seeing is like a two standard deviation long over the average for bonds. What are these fools doing? And then on the bottom there, you can see like one and a half standard deviation short on REITs, which you could make a good argument for. But look, yeah. if you look three ticks above the bottom, equities, equities. Yeah. is sitting wow. there. And uh, if you go to um, uh, the visual number two, uh, visual number two talks about the increase. Um, I think this is month over month. So you've seen an increase in energy and uh, people dumping out of staples. And I think people were lining into staples like, you know, toilet paper, Procter mm-hmm. and Gamble type mm-hmm. stuff, thinking it would protect them. But in fact, uh, positioning was so heavy into staples and it kind of unraveled. So this is the change. So cool. This is the change in positioning. Good. So I don't know like how we would measure it in some of these magnificent seven stocks it would be interesting to find a data source that could that could tell us because like it would it would pair well with that chart you know because we've talked about valuation a lot and how it's it's tough because tesla could keep going up in terms of valuation but there's nothing really to you know you know what i feel like is actually like an epic trade probably is probably like a long facebook short tesla trade so uh, long GARP growth at a reasonable price. So like short. I love the I love the GARP basket, and my favorite of the GARP basket is Google, um, but I I love basically all of them because you get like that that upside exposure to AI, but you're still trading at like below index multiples. Basically, like I think uh, Google's trading at 20, 20 times forward earnings. Like that's very reasonable. It's very GARPy. Yeah, on on top of like one of the best business models in the, yeah, in the like, world, with like the cash cow, and like I've I've spent an enormous amount of money on them, and and happily give it to them. I I wish I could spend more. And I, I think we I said this on our call uh, when we were planning this episode, but I think this is true. It's like those four companies are probably the ones that you wanted to to hold for the last ten years, and they're going to be the ones you want to hold for the next ten years. It's it's like very simple. I think yeah. it's a good chance. And I, I kind of like that trade because it, it gives you the exposure to the AI, but it like isolates. I don't know. Like I, I can't wrap my head around Tesla. Never have been able to. I can wrap my head around Facebook. Um, and the Facebook chart looks really good, and then the Tesla chart looks really, really, really bad. Like so, so bad. When you read that guy's uh, little manifesto there, like I, that resonated with me so much. And what I've learned, like, because I, I learned about valuation sort of first and foremost, what I've learned is that valuation doesn't really matter until it does. Like, there there are times when, like, during, like, euphoric bull runs where valuation gets thrown out the window, but when, when shit is hitting the fan, valuation is your life preserver, and, like, you can actually rely on a stock's price to hold to its valuation when so, like, things are when, bad. when a stock's going overextending the valuation you can get smoked playing the other side yeah but you're saying when when things are crumbling that is your anchor to like panic and fear in the markets like you can rely on valuation to to like hold steady shorting tesla to me made absolutely no sense like pre 
early 2022. Because like if you know anything about trading price action, right? You look at that chart, it's just like an up only trend. Like you're literally stepping in front of a freight train, right? And we see this with like altcoins and crypto. Like you stuff like Luna. Like people were like Luna's a scam. Good luck shorting it. You get blown out, right? right? But there comes a point where once these things sort of like break those key structural levels, and even when that does happen, they can retrace like crazy amounts. Like they can still do huge moves to the upside, but they often like never put in those higher highs. Um, and it's like kind of like a fine art to short these things. But like if you know how to do it, like they can just actually just go down only for like there's still coins from, you know, 2017 <laughs> that are still just going down. Just um, I have uh, PTSD just being a guy who like looks at Tesla a lot and seeing how bad its valuation has been or like how crazy it's been. I would rather just buy the puts instead of actually shorting it. You know, limit your downside. Collect collect the income. No, no, that'd be buying the puts. Oh, so you're, like, you're I would be buying the. I, oh, I'm you like, buying I'm the puts. I'm betting against it the same way, but at least I know what my downside is. Like, yeah, there's no I, free lunch though, and then you just get like you just get annihilated by you know time decay. Yeah, but it, like you're talking about this thing happening by December. <laughs> if I if I buy it out, you know, five hundred days from now. Like nobody, nobody's expecting this thing to go to forty dollars. Like you can buy some puts and and make a killing, like for a penny. You yeah. should buy some, should buy some leaps. <laughs> yeah, some leap puts in Tesla. It's a, it's an interesting play because yeah, it's probably not priced in. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah, I, I, I doubt it. Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of scared at like what that means. It's like a harbinger to like all of the stuff we tra- like. If, yeah. like, if Tesla could do something like that, then like crypto, like in most all of the coins in it could do something like that. I mean, that. I know there's not a lot of signal in this, but like it does seem a little too soon. Like the, the economy is still growing. Inflation is maybe hovering a little too high. That's fine. But like it has normalized quite a bit. Yeah. Normalized uh, job growth is still there. I was, I was talking to some people in the last week and they were telling me they're having trouble finding jobs now. Oh, so that's funny. In the last... So uh, how much have I, it's, it's Wednesday, so three days. Mm-hmm. I've gotten three phone calls from people like, "Hey, I got a buddy looking for a job. Can you can you talk to him?" And it, it was like we were joking. I was like, "Is this job fair week at, at this company?" <laughs> like, you know, and they're all they're all great people. They're they're highly skilled, highly highly skilled, and they're like they're looking for the next thing. But they're all from the same company. Uh, no, no, they okay. they all came to to us being Got like it. as referrals, like, hey, you should talk to Nick and 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 these guys and and see if they have a spot for you. But it was just odd that this week I found three highly skilled individuals being like, hey, I'm kind of looking for the next thing. And granted, they're not like on need to find a job this week type of people. But um, that's interesting. Yeah, though. Yeah, I've like and they they weren't the first person. Like I had a couple of these things come up, and I was just like, oh, it, like has everything just shifted suddenly? Like, and it's it's kind of funny that you have this. I know these are just anecdotes, yeah, but like they they are anecdotes, but also like the the charts are telling us something. But yeah. that also is an indication that tightening is working, and then maybe we just go and resume uh, up only mode because. 
this is an indication that Titans. Oh, I want to be clear. I still think we go up only mode at some point, and I still think that the S and P just rips to six thousand, and I still think like in the next like just, three to six months, or like you're talking about three months. I don't think is okay. like a thing anymore. Right. I think that like the conditions have definitely. There was a hope that the dollar would kind of reverse at one of the earlier, and it, it just did not. Like, and, and I don't want to. Fa- I'm not fading that thing right now. It's just like you have to be. You have to be dumb to fade that, I think. So, not gonna do it. What's the? Do you know the ticker off your uh, your three X levered short euro by any chance? <sighs> not off the top of my head. Okay, it's probably like E U R. Sounds fun. D U M D U M B. Adam had a good comment on Facebook in the chat. He said the upside on the VR tech is underrated. Yeah, I don't know how much it's priced in, but like I'm. F- extraordinarily bullish <clears throat> on that after watching the the you did you guys see the no lex? i i didn't you told me to watch it i didn't oh, watch the lex for man. you man yeah the lex zuck interview it like gave me that uh, i don't know like i feel like i'm good at like recognizing inflection points and stuff and being like oh this is a thing well, you mentioned it got out of the uncanny valley. Like, it got realistic enough where it didn't feel like you're in a fucking cartoon or like yeah. a Pixar movie. It's a big deal. I-, I could see it just shaping so much stuff in our life. And if, uh, like, Facebook is the company putting that out, like. I was in St. George, Utah last week. So I saw some very large property for relatively cheap compared to San Diego. So you're telling me I have the authority to move and, and wreck <laughs> yeah, the podcast do as the long pod. as we can go VR. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we'll be like a full like VR pod at some point. Wow. I, I'll predict that in our future. Okay. I think so um, too. You want to um, loop back to Coinbase chart before we kind of continue on? We didn't get to it. Oh, yeah. Ahead. I guess we could loop back real quick. Um, <laughs> it's here. <laughs> Trust me. It's in one of these tabs. There it is. There it is. Okay. So normally i would say okay this this is like a classic example of a chart that has had some like run up and now is broken structure and it's just going to kind of go down and test demand where is the untapped demand it's like in that 50 dollars range the thing that gives me pause with this chart is that we're kind of and this is why i think it's like choppy right now we're at like the yearly mid-range so these ranges like the high and low point that price trades at they're like very, very important, especially on really high time frames, like the monthly or like the yearly. When price is like at the 50% of a range, and this is like a good tip, like if you're trading, this is where people get annihilated because they're trying to like chase moves up and down and left and right. But the 50% of a range is like equilibrium. Like that is like balanced price. Like by nature, there's not a lot of edge there. And price is like, you know, stochastic and random to an extent. So even like about some mean, it goes up and down and up and down and up and down, right? But those moves when you're at the equilibrium of a range tend to be like very noisy. Um, So what you probably want to do is like wait for like a breakout either up or down, you know, for for some sort of confirmation and then to probably not fade that move. So I think if we get like a sharp move like above like 82 or something, I'll be like, yeah, all right, I guess I guess I'm wrong. And so then- that's because you basically just answered my question, but like with like let's say you move up above 82. Is there um something that you want to see that affirms that sort of bullish move? Is it like 
is it a volume indicator or is it like a weekly candle that closes above that level or something? Like what, what to you signifies, okay, this is real versus like, this is something I want to fade. I don't use volume at all. I know people do. I like um, volume. I, like I've never found any edge in it, to be honest. Um, it's something I tinkered around with in the past, but I don't, I don't really use any of those profiles anymore. Um, one general rule I have is right. Like if there's like a, critical higher low and like the violating of that higher low is like a key shift in the structure right what i generally want to see is like a, a close of a candle right and this is like more like art than science right and it's like the higher the time frame of that candle close like the more significant it is like if we break 82 on the one minute candle okay not very high signal. If you break 82 with like a weekly close, that's pretty high signal, right? And then when I see these shifts, I'm generally not trying to get long or short as soon as the shift happens, right? Like I believe price like moves in these ups and downs, right? And I think after you take like a high like that, you're going to come back down. You're going to kind of retest like the, the down move that gave you the high and like somewhere in there is where I would look to buy or or take off a hedge or or whatever like it yeah occasionally you do get these times where price just absolutely nukes up or nukes down and you never get a chance to get in or out and those can be dicey situations and you can still sometimes navigate them on the lower time frames but I like feel like nine out of ten times like you can be patient and kind of wait for price to come to you so long-term bullish Still, yes, yeah, super long term bullish. Just to not, I, just I, to I make still sure think these are good levels. It's still like a good like yearly level. But if you're like objectively looking at where is demand, and if you're objectively looking at what is the rest of the market doing, yes, it's at the fifty fifty range equilibrium. Yes, it could break up from here for sure. But like probabilistically speaking, if the rest of the world is going to burn down, people probably aren't going to be sending a bunch of money. Uh, into Coinbase. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Calcium in the chat says, all the chart screen grabs were named untitled. I support Jordan. Yeah. So if people don't know, Jordan's our producer trying to find which fucking tab is which, which <laughs> goddamn chart. tabs named untitled. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't, I, don't, I can't, can't do it. <laughs> oh, Feach, we love you, man. Yeah, wish I'd give that guy a big hug. Did you guys uh, stay in the same house at Permissionless? Yeah. You and Feach? Yeah, uh, I'm bummed. I didn't get we had a good him. time. He's a great dude. Everybody there was a great dude. I know I've already showered everybody with praise. So, well, I, I feel like your your coin rant was like in so many words, basically just saying that uh, David Hoffman's upcoming bullish episode on coin on Bankless oh, is that a top. Was another thing is a top. Is I that what you're saying? To, uh, Are you poking him? <laughs> Are you just doing this just to time it with his bull wow. episode? Wow. I felt Rude. a lot. <laughs> Look, I definitely felt a lot better talking about coin at $45 on the show when nobody was talking about it than I do now after it's already run up to 120 and then like Bankless is doing like specials on it. Not to hate on Bankless, right? The the generalized point here is that like once these things come into the like the popular zeitgeist of your niche crypto, it's like okay, this is sort of like Elon coming on SNL and do it's like, Same okay, well, who else? <laughs> right. We, we've already acknowledged that there's not really outside money coming into crypto yet. So like who is going to hear 
like a bankless episode or whatever episode and get like, oh my God, like I have to dump all the money into coin. I don't, I don't know. Like, um, <laughs> I can right? see I mean, that it represents the end of of that type of investor um, bringing money. Yeah, in. but but we're not in it for that. We're in it for multi years, and we're in it for everyone who's not into crypto, who's not in this every week. Well, right now I'm to, in it till the 2026. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, our calls are dated out till <laughs> no 2025, end of 2025. Oh, 25. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and like, I, I still think this go well over 300 bucks, 400 bucks, 500 bucks. Like I. I, I, I totally think that. I, I think it could do a, a, a 10x. I, I, I totally believe that. Um, the volatility in the stock is like insane, yeah. right? And like you can eat some serious drawdowns. So if you're like a long term person and you're just you're in it for $700, then it's like, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter if you buy it at 72 or I mean, it kind of does, but not really. It doesn't matter yeah. if you DCA at 72 or, or 45 or whatever. You're you're good, but it matters for somebody who's sitting there thinking like, "Oh my God, Steven said Coinbase is going to seven hundred dollars. I'm all in at eighty four bucks, and then it like nukes to fifty bucks, right? Like that, <laughs> that that's not good. Well, well, it's also not financial advice. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but but uh, I mean, I'm hoping that volatility on the upside rewards our option plays because I'm doing right. common stock and options, and so when that volatility peaks i don't know what it's going to look like but like it'll reward the option plays. but to be fair those options aren't that cheap you know you're probably they're not paying three yeah, grand pretty, three grand each so yep you know expensive. like that's exactly what i was paying there might be investors out there who are like i have one shot to take and i i think i probably agree with I, made, I made a lot of money selling calls like the yeah. premiums are pretty juicy um yep. so that, that's like mostly naked or, or no i own the stock so yeah, i sold so, okay. covered calls um so I'm, you know, I'm hedged, uh, but like I was surprised by how much premium I got for it. Well, let's never do anything naked on this podcast. Um, <laughs> so, uh, let's let's talk. Uh, Nvidia is one of those like uh, other stocks we were talking about, and they're in the news, Eric. And I know you kind of wanted to like talk about this topic as a group. So oh yeah, I'm I'm well, curious I, where you want to go with this. I'm glad it's you two here because uh, you're sort of the geopolitical guys. But um, I don't know if you saw this. Um, NVIDIA just got sort of smacked. The U.S. government said they're no longer allowed to sell their A800 or H800 chips to China. And that's actually... So when I saw that, I was like, oh, wow. And and I was thinking, like, that is that a big deal? Um, China represents 20% of their revenue. Oof, whoa. So that's pretty significant. But then I, was, I, I went down a, a bit of a rabbit hole there. I was thinking, like, okay, so... What, it, what actually is this? It turns out it's the follow-on of uh, a measure taken in October of last year, which was even a follow-on of uh, a measure taken in 2020 under the, the Trump administration. So I, I guess I'll just I'll walk through what happened. Um, we started by sanctioning Huawei. Huawei at the time was the number one uh, seller of smartphones in the world. Were they, they, were they spying on us? Is that what they were doing? I think we just termed it like a, a national security so yes. problem, so maybe. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know, even know the why, but what I know is that we restricted sales of chips to Huawei. At the time, they had 18% of global market share of smartphones, which was higher than Apple and Samsung. Wow. And uh, after those measures were taken, they've 
almost been eliminated. They're like 2% global market share now. Damn. So that worked, I guess, in quotes. Um, but then they expanded um, this, the restrictions beyond Huawei to, to seven other companies in China. And then in October of 2022, this was like the, the watershed moment, I think, that nobody's talking about. I think this is like why I wanted to talk about it, because this is actually huge, is that we said we won't, we won't sell any advanced chips to China, period. And that, that's like to stifle their advanced computing yeah, so, industry. So prior to that, NVIDIA could sell to China, but they couldn't sell the most advanced version, called yeah. like two or three generations before that. And it looks like it caused like a 10% performance hit. Right. But like probably not that big of a deal. Yeah, and if you're China, you'd be like, sure, I'll just take 90% of, of your best one. No, no right. problem. So then when, they, when they canceled that, that's when I started looking at it. And what I found is that... Um, there's this, uh, the acronym is like B, B, T, F, R or something. It's, it's like the, uh, basically what it, what it means is that the U.S. was able to um, designate any product that had U.S. IP at any, anywhere along the supply chain. That product is deemed a U.S. product and it's n restricted from being sold to China. Right. So obviously American companies can't sell yes. these chips to China. And obviously, like, I don't know, maybe companies in Japan, South Korea. So, yeah, like what I, another thing I learned is just like in the, in the chip banking process, it's fascinating, like how complex this supply chain is. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, so, like, there are specialized players all along the supply chain doing very complex things. And, and I want to, like, illustrate how complex this, some of this stuff is. Like, um, you know, they're printing on a chip at a size that is one one-thousandth the size of a red blood cell. <laughs> it's so fucking advanced. And in order to do that, they use this thing called EUV, extreme ultraviolet light, that um, burns plasma 40 times hotter than the sun to like imprint that onto the chip. And this, like, there's one company in the world that can do it at like that small of a size and that like advanced, and it's like this company in the Netherlands. Uh, ASML. ASML. It's a publicly yep. traded company, ticker symbol ASML. Um, and it's been said that their machine is the most complex thing ever designed by mankind. Wow. <laughs> that one machine. <laughs> and that call. is like one step in a, in a process that requires a hundred steps to design these advanced chips that, and like there are contributors from, like you said, Japan, Taiwan, Netherlands, et cetera, yeah. South Korea. And all of these nations have agreed to blacklist sales to China. Yeah, so like in that value chain, there's design, which obviously is like the software design, the, the chip design, all that intellectual property. Then there's actual fabrication, which requires the materials and chemicals. And then there's actual equipment to, to fabricate these things. And then you have all the assembly and, and testing shit that has to go on. So... You know, a country to say we want to be self-reliant and be able to make our own semiconductors, it's, it's a big ask to put an entire value chain that's that complex that requires so many inputs. That's what I was wondering. I was, my first thought was, well, China's just going to vertically, vertically integrate and they're going to be able to design these things themselves. And then when I found out how complex this stuff actually is, you know, one of ASML's machines cost $200 million. Oh. So, like, wow. for China to just recreate all of that, it seems impossible. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's a lot of things that, that China can do to like thwart 
those sanctions, right? There's there's obviously they could just try to get around them, circumvent, right? yeah, circumvent, like just break break the rules. So like they're like because um, we have agreement from like Japan, South Korea, Netherlands, Taiwan to to restrict sales to China. That doesn't mean that like a country like India can't buy chips and then sell those to China. Yeah. So I saw something. Maybe it's in the same article. We, we maybe we both read, but like. Um, a Chinese company could have a subsidiary in a country like India and could get that technology, those chips, that equipment, that IP, and obviously still use it in India, but then all the IP, the the knowledge can still get transferred to the parent company in China. So that's probably like a loophole. And I, I imagine the U.S. is trying to understand how best to tighten the the border controls of this like complex technology, which involves human brain power, chemicals, materials, and actually this like complex machinery, which can't be easy to do. But I, I was trying to pull up a timeline of everything that the U.S. has done since like 2022, and it is like a monthly, a monthly thing. They tighten it every more every single month. Yeah, it's getting it's getting more and more stringent. Like the the trajectory is pretty clear. Like Yeah, we're we're in a cold war, a technological cold war. And I kind of um you know, forget the second order, third order consequences. Like the motivations behind it I think are are sound, right? Like you you don't want um you know, China to take an advanced role above the US when it comes to AI. We obviously know these chips are like necessary in order to advance an AI for two reasons. Like one, the obvious economic, you know, capabilities, like they're on a massive demographic downfall. And the only thing that could save them is a massive increase in productivity, which would likely come from AI. So if you limit them, you kind of like write their downfall into the history books if they can't produce some, you know, huge leap in productivity. But then the, maybe the bigger one that most government officials are worried about is just using AI in, in weapon systems. Yes, you know, surveillance, weaponry. All that stuff. So like, if you can thwart their ability to uh, import you know, these semiconductors at the advanced stage, the US always has, call it one generation, leg up. And I, you know, I, I kind of like that motivation. Obviously, it's going to force China to innovate on their own. And it is a benefit of a socialist system, right? They can direct all of the resources of an entire nation, um, you know, with carrot and stick carrot being like, Hey, here's some subsidies, here's some tax breaks, here's some money. And then stick like, no, you're going to do what we tell you to do. And as a country of a billion people, we're going to make this our top effort. And it seems like that's been the number one technological like objective for the last five years. I, I don't think China has been dumb to this, this move that's going to happen. It seems like they were, steps ahead but you know the enormity of what they need to accomplish is still kind of over them right and didn't you didn't you read somewhere that they they are able to create sort of like semi-advanced chips in a vertically integrated fashion yeah, like I, I forget the the name of the phone but there was a phone that like debuted recently in the last two months two or three months and people were surprised that it had this this high tech advanced chip in it I want to say seven nanometers. Don't quote me on that. I don't even know if fucking yeah, chips yeah, in no. that. What but the that, that's the number that, that <laughs> came to mind. And um, But I think the issue is that they n can't necessarily make it at, at scale. Yes. Which sounds kind of weird to me that they, they couldn't, but 
maybe they were able to make a defined amount for this phone. And, you know, let's say they were able to accomplish this one feat. I think they, they we're blocking them for the system and the resources for innovation. Like, yeah, because it's it's not just a restriction of the sale of the chips. It's also a restriction of the sale on the equipment that's required to um, create the chip. Yeah. So here's a, another few things I was jotting down that they could do. Like, um, it seems like the the key countries are the U.S. Um, Netherlands is a massive country. They they need help from Netherlands. Japan, South Korea, and obviously Taiwan. Taiwan, there's a clear friction there. Um, and it seems like they've been making diplomatic kind of um, warnings to the Netherlands, basically saying there will be consequences. We're not going to tell you what the consequences are, but we can't swallow this were, were some of the quotes. Like as in, we're going to do something about this. Yeah, and it seems pretty ominous, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and so if you look at the stocks, like ASML in particular, if you look at the line item for expenses of cybersecurity expense, it's like double-digit growth. <laughs> every, every year because they're getting th- apparently thousands of cyber attacks a year. Thousands. So imagine multiple a day trying to poke and prod and get IP, get technology, try to do anything they can to subvert this because I think they understand it's it's kind of um, important for their long-term superiority and, and maybe, maybe survival. I don't know. Um, so they're obviously doing that with Japan and South Korea and like whatever um, geopolitical tensions, I imagine that will be the, the, the poker, the chip that they will bring into play in whatever negotiations happen, whether it's about <clears throat> oil or other resources or other things. Um, I was also trying to understand, you know, we, we import a lot of stuff from China. Like they have, they have leverage over us and it doesn't seem like they've necessarily pulled that card yet. And uh, I was looking where they have leveraged the most. Obviously, all of our TVs and all the products probably in this studio, you know, likely come from there. That that's one. But it seems like the rare earth minerals, um, yeah, so, are the biggest so lever they could. That's pull, right? one that I I was like drilling into because, on the one hand, we have like the IP and the tech, but then they have the rare earth minerals that are are required to build this stuff. And, you know, for, for certain ones like gallium nitride, they control 98% of the world's production. Um, so I don't know. I think, uh, in the report that we shared, the, the response was basically that, well, the U S the problem with these rare earth minerals is more of like a political constraint. Like, do we want to harm our environment by digging this stuff up? And it's, it's not. Um, it's not as big of a deal if they want to play that card. You play the game theory out, sort of U.S. still wins. Yeah, so you're saying, okay, let's say they do do that. They restrict um, exports of rare earth minerals that are rare earth materials that, that we need. Then there's a political response in the U.S. that says, cool, you want to mine these in the U.S.? Here, here's your permit, like 24-hour turnaround time, like get rid of the red tape. The question is, Amongst the U.S. and all the allies, do those do those mineral do the, the, pos- the deposits exist? are the they deposits even- are there? According to the research I was reading, it's like in Alaska and Wyoming and the Dakotas, like it is there. It's They're just all like, there, but you know we don't have the appetite. I wonder what it would take because you know we obviously politicians will be keen to this response, but will the average American care? Like if they see some 
oh, I don't know. What was what was the one you mentioned? Gallium? Gallium nitride. Gallium yeah. nitride, you know, like uh, blocks exports to the U.S. They're not going to care, but they see you're drilling in their national park. You know, will there be the political Ooh, fortitude? To- I think I think the U.S. rallies around a common enemy pretty quick. Yeah. If like if it's if it's like China's doing this to to us, then right. it, it, I think that can galvanize a country. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's where we could see some retaliation. But uh, also, did you see this? Um, Micron is is Micron a U.S. company? Do you know? Yeah. Yeah, and they're a publicly traded company. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in Idaho, right? Yeah. So so China did this. Um, extended cybersecurity review. And essentially it's a form of retaliation. Like, hey, we're going to slow down this review. Um, and basically the, what they're threatening is Micron could no longer serve uh, Chinese customers. And it sounds like it would be a potential loss of $3.3 billion to to Micron. And there could be a whole set of those. So um, 26% of chip demand by corporate headquarters of the electronic device maker uh, comes from China. 35% of chip demand by location of where the device is, or sorry, where it's assembled is from China. And then um, 24% of chip demand by location of where the end user is, the end device is, comes from China. So there is this kind of like, you know, tripwire on both sides. Like, Totally. Dude, know. imagine like the economic impact to our, to our companies in the SP, you know, like, back to Steven's charts, like we could easily go lower on these charts if, if our earnings are getting crushed too, which like, I think in the case of NVIDIA, for instance, you have, you have enough, like you have sufficient domestic demand to, to last the next two years or something. Right. But then like the runway is getting much shorter if you take away, you know, a quarter of your customer base. Yeah. So you're saying this little 5% drop we saw and I think it was another 5% drop in NVIDIA because of this. And it was all over CNBC um, limiting their sales to, to China. It could be just a first hint of what's to come if this Cold War just kind of technological Cold War kind of gets out of hand. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm guessing it's like it, it rears its ugly head on like the length of the runway more so than in the near term results. So I was trying to think of like what's the net net? Like we're we're consumers in the US, we're investors in the US. So where does it where does it land? And like maybe this is more fourth turning stuff that we've talked about where inflation is higher just because there's more geopolitical supply chain insecurities. Um so in higher inflation seems one, just having to pay more for for goods. I think Peter Zion said that um, you know, China can produce semiconductors, they can produce a lot of them but they do it for the low-level stuff, like your yeah. microwave. Yeah. And so um, we maybe don't have the capabilities, or the, the capacity to do that ourselves, so those little devices get more, more, expensive. more expensive. And then, yeah, the S&P has clear vulnerabilities to not being able to access the the Chinese market. I don't know, those are the only two I could, like, came up with. They're, they're kind of a long-term thematic, so it's not like, hey, let's position around it, but... And I'm guess like I guess my other question was like, does this Cold War just stay cold forever? You know, like we are positioning around Taiwan, like how influential Taiwan is in this supply chain or value chain. And uh, it was interesting for me to read like uh, about Taiwan's perspective. Like they, there was a term that was used. They they call it the Silicon Shield. <laughs> so like you know like 
Israel has the Iron Dome. Uh, Taiwan has the Silicon Shield that says, like, we're so important to you guys. You will all defend us because, you know, you need us. So but, that's fascinating. I, I read in that report that Chinese companies were offering 5x salaries or 5x total comp for anyone in Taiwan who's in the industry to come work for them. But it comes with a catch is that you may, you most likely will not be employed for life by them. Like they're literally to like suck the juice out of your brain <laughs> and then ditch you. And you probably won't be able to get a job again in Taiwan. Yeah. You know, you won't have a, a so fallback. The, like what about, so there's a, obviously a U.S. incentive to bring uh, Taiwan's fabrication on shore to be in the U.S. And I think they've tried to like build something in Phoenix. Yeah. Um, and because Taiwan is like militarily protected by the United States, they kind of have to abide by those wishes. But at the same time, by doing that, they're eroding their silicon shield. Well, yeah. And then they see Vivek Ramaswamy up on a Republican presidential debate and saying... Yeah, like we'll defend Taiwan until we have our own capabilities, and then right. when, once we build them, then we won't. Yeah, fuck them. Like just <laughs> he's saying it pretty clear, which right. I mean, logically makes for a sound strategy, I think. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, these things will take well over a decade to to build in the United States. And then President Xi told his his military, he's like, "Be prepared to invade Taiwan by 2027." Right. Um, which doesn't say that we will do it by 2027. Just be prepared to do it. Oof. So, like, all of this, to me... It's a lot of breathing room. It's like, well, yeah, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of time, I guess. They don't even sell calls that long. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't... Oh, man, I really hope that doesn't happen because, like, we obviously import a lot of basic goods from, from China. I'm talking about our company. Yeah, you. <laughs> and, like, that was just cut, be cut off. Like, Ugh. you just wouldn't have inventory anymore. And if you don't have inventory, you don't have revenue. That'd be brutal. You'd cut off every single semiconductor from China, too. You wouldn't just cut off the advanced these select ones. companies yeah. and these advanced ones. You'd be like, none for you. And pulling back from that is... Uh, <sighs> it, it takes a while to unravel that kind of shit. It'd be such a weird world to live in, you know? Maybe not. Maybe it'd be like a world that we used to inhabit but like that's not a world we've inhabited for the last couple decades right like we've basically had the opening of china sort of mask all of these other problems that exist globally and we've been able to have like abundant cheap goods which president let uh, china into the world trade organization was that clinton or bush well i mean nixon was the one who originally yeah opened it yeah, right? yeah, yeah. so i think it started there hmm. um yeah, it's strange to think we could live in this world where there's this like weird dichotomy of like insane digital abundance and like really severe physical scarcity. Like people might not people are just not going to be able to just buy stuff. <laughs> like that it it's it's going to be really strange and obviously I think the earnings of companies could be hit really bad if really that bad. happens like if consumers just don't have enough money to buy all the things they used to buy. Um, the but the age of cheap crap is over, is what you're saying. But the other side of that is, like, I think a company like Facebook could, like, thrive in that world, right? Because I think Ooh. if you live in a world of, like, like this physical scarcity, then you start substituting, like, what can I do? Well, I can use something like VR tech to 
simulate the stuff that I can't do or no experience way. I hate to break it to you, but that Oculus headset probably is going to not advance very much if everyone's not going to be able to get their hands on it. No, that thing's going to get a lot cheaper relative to now. Like, yes, some of those components will get more expensive, but like all in all, right? Like if you can buy that one thing, it's like... It'll be like how there's, you know, like it, people who are in poverty today in the U.S., they own like two televisions, right? And they, they have like, like it, it's going to be a, a similar thing where like, yeah, of course you need the VR. Like, your life will be miserable if you don't have the, if you can't go like, it'll be like Ready Player One, I guess. I guess, I guess we had to wrote a book on this. Yeah. Um, but I could totally see that, that happening. And like, yeah, we really take for granted like how much abundant, cheap crap we have. Well, I like this topic because I, I think it's it's real alpha because it's very underplayed and it's a slow burn until it's not. And, um, you know, hot wars probably get most of the attention on, on news channels, but you don't see this one, which probably impacts the everyday American or everyday European, like wh- wherever you are, you know, uh, more potentially. Yeah, the ramifications are potentially insane, but potentially. Yeah. All right, let's uh let's go on. So um we're gonna talk about this uh this Tim Urban book. Um it's called What's Our Problem. You wanna key because we're we're not gonna like dive into the whole book right now, but you wanna key up what, what you wanna go yeah, so into. One of our one of our uh, community members, uh the great below. Um actually I don't think he launched the book club. Who launched the book club? Oh, I'm well, you're so gonna sorry. get some I heat. I know. I, it's Boo. like everybody has these strange avatar names. It's hard to remember <laughs> them all. Um, but one of our community members was like, "Hey, we should launch like a book club. Like, seems like a good group to do it with." And people were like, "Yeah, book club. That's that's awesome." Um, but below uh, suggested that we read this book. Um, well, he didn't also suggest. He he quite. Uh, like, like, yeah, ferociously talk, lobbied in person. We, we talked, we talked in a previous episode about how this man is basically like, you know, worships at the altar of Tim Urban, and <laughs> but like his, it lived up to the hype. He probably walks around with like one of those signs that you wear, like ringing a bell, <laughs> and it's got like board. drawings on it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what he does in his spare time, he hangs out at intersections. Love it, low. Um, but yeah, he was like, we should read this book. And uh, I took a quick look at it. And I was like, yes, yeah, it's like really interesting. Um, and like those of you who live in the world today know that we're having a hard time getting along. And it seems like uh, it's a very divisive political climate. Um, it's a lot of stuff happening. So this book by Tim Urban tries to like lay out a framework for why this happened and how to fix it. Um, and it's been super interesting because it 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 really, I think, hits at the heart of why we're here and, like, why our community is here. And, like, we, we've we talked a lot about, like, what is it that, like, kind of unites us all? Listen, we're not, like, all crypto investors. We're not all Republicans. We're not all Democrats. We're not all moderates. We're not all, like, and and and, and this book, like, finally gave a, me a framework for how to think about... Um, Alfalfa. Yeah. And it's a super long book, but I, I just wanted to like key in on on one section, just like the very beginning of the book, which is this this concept of of the latter, right? Where it's it's not just like what you think and what you believe, like the spectrum, but it's also how you think. And I think what's interesting about this book is like he he, he puts out this like very easy to understand framework for how people sort of process and promote and fight for their ideas 
Um, so you kind of have this like uh, x-axis with like the x-axis is what you think what you believe yeah. right and then there's this y-axis oh look at that we got a visual we're getting it ready oh. i just put it in there now that's sweet nice wow okay and this is the y-axis and this is the most important axis not what not what you think but how you think how yeah. you think so there's this there's this battle between your sort of higher human brain the brain that is you know can think and 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 study socrates and do things that your dog can't do right and then you've sort of got your mammalian brain in the middle which is kind of like you know more like emotional and then like you've got like the sort of primitive reptilian brain which is just kind of pure like fight or flight survival mode right yeah. kind of all the way right and so as you go up or down the ladder right you you are at the top of the ladder you are your you know higher mind is completely in control and at the very bottom of the ladder uh the the primitive mind uh is in control um and he goes on to build on this like concept right because he he talks about like uh, communities that sort of coalesce around these ideas right and we we know that on on twitter like a you know there are these large communities on the left and the right that have really coalesced around the primitive end of, of the ladder like they yell at you for everything they're fighting they sort of vehemently stick to every oh tumaju 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 is the i, I knew it I, damn it he started thank, the book thank club. you adam so tumaju uh started book club i'm definitely probably not pronouncing that right so sorry in advance but yeah shout out great idea um but yeah at the top of the the top of the ladder right where you've got this like kind of higher mind thing and the 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 collection of people doing that he he calls it like you know you, you want to have like you want to build like an idea lab which is this community of people who are using their higher brain i was like oh that's what that's alfalfa, alfalfa. strives to be yeah. it strives to be an idea lab. It's not a place where everybody thinks the same thing. It's not a place where everybody's trying to forward a particular agenda, but it is a place where everybody thinks in a sort of particular um, systematic way that is like kind of, he uses this avatar of like the, the scientist to describe somebody who is like kind of like at the, the very, you know, top of that rung. I'm somebody who is like um, evaluating ideas and holding complex thoughts in his head and like not married to things and who's like really motivated by truth seeking. And I was like, oh, that's what we are. Or at least that's what like we strive to be or like the people in the community sort of strive to be. Um, so I yeah. definitely wanted to shout and that out. Didn't he kind of put the scientific method as, as kind of like the, the system for that that higher mind, the top rung of the ladder? Yeah, so I think if I'm not mistaken, he has like the scientist, the sports fan, the lawyer, and then the zealot all the way at the bottom. Oh, man. And sometimes the best way to understand like uh, the top rung of the ladder is actually explain the the bottom rung because it just plays the exact opposite. And he gave this like really good analogy of how I think he said moths or gnats. You, you look at them and you're like, why are they like swarming around this light on my house? And why are they just like literally diving headfirst into this bug zapper that, that has a light on it. And he shows that the, the reptilian mode of their brain used to follow the moon to find out where, where to go. So they followed light to figure out direction and, and which way to move. But that, that part of your brain doesn't update every day. It maybe updates every 
500 or 1,000 years. And I was thinking about, I listened to that and I was like, man, you, you walk around, you're like, why is everyone on their phone, like nonstop? And you realize that like when you fall to that bottom rung, you will do things that are, that directly harm you, that like, you know, might end in your species extinction, <laughs> but just because your reptilian software has, has never updated. And, and that, that analogy was pretty, I was like, started to be a little introspective, like, shit, what do I do where my reptilian software hasn't updated and has no chance of being updated? That's, that's hurting me. But anyway, that gave me like a good understanding of the top rung of the ladder, which is the exact opposite of that. Yeah. Like having a thesis, testing it, actually looking towards areas where you could be... Towards competing arguments, yes. like trying to poke holes in your own ideas. Like that's, it, that's the high rung. Yeah, I mean, zealotry, thinking about ideas like as a zealot, the, basically the idea is you. It, it, and it, it is not only like who you are, more importantly, it's like who your group is. And that's like the, the, the primitive brain is very focused around group mentality because like we were, you know, we're tribal creatures and the group was our survival mechanism. And we want to be in the herd. We don't want to be isolated from the herd. Being isolated from the herd is dangerous. Going against the herd uh, is, dangerous, is dangerous. So, so people who are political zealots, they basically sort of start from the point of like, this idea is who I am and I am going to sort of defend it in in the face of all logic. There's basically nothing that can convince me otherwise. And like my goal is like not even so much to convince you, but to destroy you because you are like the opposite tribe who is sort of so that's the extreme end, right? And then you have like the the scientist on the the, the top end of the ladder who who, you know, is completely divorced his his or her personality from the ideas themselves and is, is seeking to like evaluate the idea on its merit and to stress test the idea and like is, is mainly in the pursuit of truth, not in the pursuit of the defense of one's yeah. group ideology. It's about, it's about what's right, not who's right. Yeah. And then he has like these nuanced ones in the middle where like you have the sports fan, which is like a rung below the scientist yeah. where you're like, I like that one. Like, like you, you can be persuaded, yeah. right? Like the sports fans can be persuaded, but they're really like rooting their ideas on. Like they've married them to an extent. Like, like they and and if we're beyond being honest, like we are mostly sports fans by yeah. default. Like even us who like to either try to say like we're like all oh, these like high level thinkers, we very frequently slip into sports. I'd say mode. more more often than not, if I had to be honest about myself, is like. Yes, I'm happy to watch the game, but I'm clearly rooting for a certain outcome. And my biases, my like um, logical biases, probably push me to the one outcome I would like to see happen. And I'm looking for reinforcing data that I can point out to like, yes, my team's winning. Yeah, yeah. even if it's like subconsciously or mm -hmm. whatever. Right, right. I, I think where this stuff really gets supercharged too is like he goes from the individual model and he starts talking about like what does this look like with with group behavior because we are we are you know we're group people um, or a species of of, of tribes um, and he said like well at the you know the top of the ladder when you get a bunch of scientists together sort of collectively thinking like that's a genie it's this like kind of giga brain kind of like sharing of ideas like beyond a person it's like this like network right and it it came to mind what we saw during the the superconductor <laughs> Ugh, what a time it was but like <laughs> when, when we were on x like we saw 
all of these people working in like real time, like across the globe, testing which is all ideas, the shared yeah. brain power, testing ideas and like really collaborating and like working as a cohesive unit to like make something great happen, which is so refreshing to see because it's so the opposite of what you usually see on Twitter. And then the other end of the spectrum, he, he, he talks about this idea of the golem. The golem is this like collection of like emotional brains like emotional primitive brains all merged together they create this thing called the golem and he says the golem is like really really destructive right because if like the other side to you has turned into a golem the only defense against the golem is to build your own golem bigger golem you know build a bigger golem and then you're just your golems are just hitting each other with sticks like your genie can't defeat the golem and he's like this this kind of mirrors what happened in like prior human history right like when your neighbors started getting like all angry and warring and they came on your doorstep you couldn't like bust out your lab coat and your whiteboard and like <laughs> no they were coming to burn down your village you had to make your own thing to defend that right so, so it creates this like nasty environment where once one side turns into a golem it forces a golem to rise up on the other side and then you end up with a um answer to the other side's thing but it's like this like never-ending feedback loop where each of these things have to keep getting bigger and nastier and more polarized as an answer to the to the other side sort of thing and that i think we see that <laughs> so hold on because if if that's the only answer then is there a way out and we we talked about this briefly because we do a live chat or a live a live uh video conference on thursdays in our discord um at 5 p.m Pacific time, and we talked about this briefly, but uh, Stephen, do you think that there's a way out of where we are now, which is kind of like two golems battling it out, um, when ideally everything would be sort of higher-minded? Yeah, we talked about this a little last week during the book club, and I think me and Below sort of had the same generalized you know, prescription, which is that the only way to do this is to sort of pill a critical mass of like individual people on the who aren't participating in this right and to to make that side enough that they just like stop tolerating this happening from society for the rest of society and that those people can be these little nodes that go out into the world and like pill a bunch of other people and if you can get enough people going out and just like breaking everybody of this spell then like maybe you can settle in a world where people are thinking again instead of like feeling and, and, and being tribal. But it's it's a it's a huge undertaking um, because those people don't they just don't coalesce together in the same way that uh, you know the, the 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 emotional. Yeah, like we even found a trouble with it. What what tribe are are we in? Where we actually don't belong to like the typical tribes. But maybe the tribe. But now is we do have a tribe, which I think is interesting. Like I think humans need tribes, and I think like a lot of people, like people who are good thinkers, like they've been lost floating through space because they're like, oh, I'm not a tribal. I'm a higher thinker, and like that's not anything anybody can coalesce around. And so a lot of movements like that are like that. The libertarian party is like a good example of this. It's just like this collection of people, like they're they're predisposed to not be like that and so it's just this it's like herding cats and like there's no underlying kind of thing holding all and it it, it it just doesn't work well how do you think it like do you think that the 
you know, we have like the red and the blue or the left and the right, and then they bring in the gray tribe. Do you think that plays a role in, in what how we sort of identify? Or would you say that we're gray tribe? Well, by gray, are you saying a third party or like non-party? You're talking about biologies. That's, I guess I'm layering on biologies framework, which says that there's like, you know, the left and the right. And then there's like a third one, which is like the tech tribe. Um, which he he terms as gray tribe. Okay, wait, where were we talking about this? That was in the in the live chat. It was on in the live chat. Okay, I, I didn't think it was in the live chat for some reason. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting idea. That like, it's another way of sort of looking at the world that we have. We have like the red tribe and the blue tribe, but like there's also a lot of people who don't fit in with those tribes, and so biology came up with like the gray tribe. And because because he also has this kind of paradigm of like what does he have? He has like woke capital and crypto capital, and he has like this idea of basically like you know communism versus like the the free market and like these kind of things. And he said like a lot of what it means to be blue is to embrace like you know that that's woke capital. That's like that's like the kind of like the the, the communist. Not not that everybody who's blue <laughs> is communist, but there's like this like kind of strong underpinning of that sort of collectivism tribalism. in the blue tribe. Yeah. Well, it's not even tribalism, it's collectivism. Like tribalism, I think, is a little different. Like you can be tribal but not collectivist. Um and he's saying that there's this group of these like thinkers and like he's putting them all under the, you know, the tech tribe. But in reality they extend and it's like far beyond tech. But tech is like a good um kind of uh, visual for those people because you have all of these like smart entrepreneurial people who are, you know, think of themselves as like liberal thinkers and they 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 are progressive but they like very much feel like they don't fit in with like you know when you when you think of like San Francisco and like all the the bad stuff you see about like modern day San Francisco it, it clashes with the 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 sort of prototypical like tech person from San Francisco especially the one who was sort of like um, Biology, and he he's like proposed this union between the Reds and and the Grays because there is this like actual uh, intersection there. And I always tell I always tell Eric. I remember on like the the call last week, I was like, it's really interesting because like I can actually see like a society of Reds and Grays working just fine together. But if you took what was left of society, like all of the blues who weren't great, and you made a society, like I feel like it wouldn't function at all. I feel like oh my god, you actually no. Disaster. I don't know if I want to say this on on a podcast. But <laughs> well, you actually called probably them, don't. You called them. Well, you, call you were going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I won't go there. But yeah, it couldn't have been that bad. Um, what um, what's Thomas Souls? I don't know if this ties in, but what's Thomas Souls? He talks about like two visions or two the conflict divisions is yes. his book it's a great book because one of them includes like peop- there's always like a I feel like there's someone who gets there's a victim and a, and a winner in one of the the visions he talks about I don't know do you remember the two visions I think it's the Rousseauian vision like Rousseau versus Hobbes Hobbes is a very like state of nature philosopher um, and it sort of fits in with this, like what we consider today, I guess, to be like a more right wing mindset of like state of nature. What are your natural rights in the world? And government exists just to sort of protect your natural rights and the state of nature and prevent and look, offer some minimal structure of society so that somebody doesn't come in and like, um, you know, harm you. Um, which is also something that like, uh, it, Tim Arbun talks about in the book a lot. It's, it, it's good. Um, Versus like um, 
there's this other idea that like okay um we we actually talked about this we talked about like the the veil of ignorance this idea of like constructing society as though you know a you know a veil was metaphorical veil was placed over one's head and you had to be born in the world tomorrow and you didn't sort of know where that would be the idea that we can sort of like collectively um you know put our finger on the scale and do things it, it, it's like a very quintessential sort of like progressivism versus um conservatism and like and like people tend to have these mindsets at the root and like in thomas Sowell's uh, conflict divisions i think is an interesting book because it tries to like dive into what is really at the core of right versus left like is there a bunch of people who are just told to believe the same position and that's why they all have the same position or is there something at the root of one's mind that makes you like anti-guns and you know? So what is what is that constrained and unconstrained? What is that? Yes, root? the unconstrained and the constrained vision. That's actually the that's what I wanted to get at, right? Um, there's these two visions of, of of human nature, like constrained and, and, and unconstrained. And one 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 basic the sort of constrained vision says that like there's just I'm, I'm going to butcher the this out of simplicity, but like there's just sort of like a limit to what humans can be or do right there's this this state of nature there's some people will never be great you know some people will be bad like, but then the unconstrained vision is sort of that like no we can make everybody great and people are only bad because of these problems which we can solve and we could sort of build like humanity like the sky is the limit of what we can do to sort of modify the world and society that we live in to make it great and the person who has like a more constrained vision is like, well, that doesn't work because you're 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 assuming something about human nature and humanity that just isn't true at the base layer. And in trying to build society like that, you're going to inadvertently build all these like regulatory bodies and these other things that'll end up having this like net negative impact, right? So that's kind of like the struggle between these political philosophies at like the the root. Um, great book, by the way, if anybody wants to read it. It's a little. Which dense. one is that? It's, it's uh, Thomas Sowell. What's that one called? A Conflict of Visions. Man, I've read uh, probably three of his, but not that one. It's not as like entertaining as like Black Rednecks and White Liberals. That's the one I'm listening to now. Black Rednecks and White Liberals. Yeah, <laughs> great. Black data. Rednecks and White Liberals is a great book. It's really like ten books in a book. Like it's got, it just goes from one thing to another. It goes from slavery to middlemen minorities to like all. It's like all over the place, and it's like that book has like a lot of these kind of like crazy mind-blowing facts that like shift your perception i think like whoa i didn't realize that was a thing yeah you know i mean i was kind of bringing this up because when you see a new framework you kind of it, it has one axis right but there's different axes to like have a framework for life and how you think have you guys found any other frameworks that you subscribe to that kind of like don't mesh with this well like are there other frameworks that when you test it against this one <coughs> you know is it is it really that good is what I'm... Wait, which framework were we talking We're talking about, about the latter framework, like the Tim Urban's one? framework of like how you think... I was just trying to think of how, how it's practically applicable because like, you know, I think Alpha Alpha is sort of higher on this ladder. At least right? strive to, right? We strive to be. But then also like we're called Alpha Alpha, meaning like how do you like squeeze the edge out of life, right? And what I what I see in the ladder is that it's like theoretically pretty cool, you know, but what I, what I've seen in my life in terms of like, you know, just anecdotally, what I've seen is like, I've seen people succeed without being high rung thinkers, you know? And like, I just don't think it's in a way it's, it's not that valuable on a micro level. Like it's like for each individual, 
like how you succeed is consistency, I, production, etc. I, I kind of get what you're saying, and like what I've thought about this with like the the red gray union that Bology proposed, and I'm, I'm gonna say they, like it kind of reminds me of like the bell curve meme, and and I'm not trying to say that people who are right are like. 40 IQ on the left side and like all the tech people are on the right side. Like that's not exactly what I'm trying to say, but there is this idea that there is this sort of union between like the instinctual side of us and like the really giga brain thinking. Right. And in the middle here where people are trying to intellectualize things on the wrong, that's where people really go off the beaten path. So I think that it is, a fallacy of a lot of people on the left, especially to think that we can always solve particular problems. We can, if we just have enough information and we think hard enough, we can build some institution, we can build some regulatory body, and we can solve all of these problems. It's also, you know, a thing that like tech has, right? But at least tech is going about this in a way that is a little better, like the free market versus like, oh, we're going to solve this problem by creating this body of people and are like, oh, well, these academics will solve it or something, right? Um, but the reality of the world, like, is there there is, like, I think a place for, like, instinct and intuition. And, and I don't know if that, like, does that lie in the, is that the, that it's probably not the primal well, brain, but, but, but it kind of is to a degree, right? Like, I think we all are on the spectrum at each, some part of our lives that are on each part of this ladder. Of course. Right? And... I mean, I think Tim Urban even says this is a self-help book for societies, not yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. It's for societies. Like, how right. could I leave, you know, behind, like, for groups of people to organize in a, in a better way? And I think one good thing is, like, I don't know. I was trying to take an inventory of, like, what parts am I tribal about? And, you know, it's, it's tough to find. There are some, like, really insignificant ones. You could be like well, I really like this Formula One team and that's very insignificant. But then there could be these others where you're kind of blind to the fact that you are tribal about it and that you take this idea as part of your identity. And so it does make sense that some instinctual part is good because I think that's how we all individually are. When You know, you're not 100% on the top of the rung of the ladder or even the top half. Um, and I think a good like action point is like try to take an inventory of like which part of your lives are at which point of the ladder. What if you're like really sort of tribal low rung about like your, your family, like in a illogical way, but you're like, but that's family, but it's logical, but it's logical. Why? The, I, this is a classic like <laughs> bell curve. Okay. Meme. Like it, even it, like it actually is quite logical to be tribal about your family. Right, that is like the just, it's sort a of literal the, extension sort of, of the you. Point. Yeah, it is like why you exist in the world. It's like the root of like you're trying to spread your genes, and like of course you would feel that way about your. It's 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 not illogical at all, but it is illogical why you would like uh, punch a guy in the face because he said something bad about your football team. So you're saying that that like that that's a great example. That is the base that is the base function that is good for us. But that comes from the bottom rung and the top rung. Like that kind of thinking to you know your children are about to die and you have a chance to like literally hop in front of something that's going to kill them, take your own life to save your kids. That's a top rung of the ladder and a bottom rung of the ladder instinct and are you saying that that they the decision point exists at both of those points? I think it's a slightly different thing. What, like, what, what I'm saying is like we, 
we have these primitive like patterns, right? That are just embedded. There are these automatic programs that run. And the family one is a good example of like the base pattern that is function. Like it wasn't a dysfunctional pattern. It was very functional and still is functional to us today in the modern world. It doesn't scale. But that pattern gets hijacked when you talk about like sports teams, for example. Like you're running that computer program, but now it's not serving you. Like nobody's going to write anything on your tombstone because you tried to choke out the Eagles fan who said something <laughs> mean about like Patrick Mahomes, right? Like it's just, <laughs> that's that's just your your instinct to defend your, your family just gone like completely awry because it's not your kid. <laughs> but hear me out. The Kelsey family, Pfizer, all wrapped into one. It's a conspiracy. I don't know. It might be worth chucking out the Eagles fan. <laughs> um, anyway. Nice. <laughs> um, all right. You think that's a good like tap into this little intro into the book? Because it sounds like we might bring yeah, it up. Could be first of many. I mean, first that was many. just like the first chapter. Um, Talk shit about paddle ball and see which brain takes over. <laughs> He called it paddleball. First of all, I called it paddleball. Calcium, it is not called paddleball. That is intentional, probably. It's called pickleball. (laughs) His eyes are dilating, his hair is sliding up, all the reptilian I generally (laughs) acknowledge some of the ridiculousness about pickleball, okay? I don't have any delusions about I like I I've I always say that Padel is objectively like a much better sport. Yeah, I have no well, problem saying that. You find kind of like low rung behavior in picklers versus tennis players, for instance. You know, that's like <laughs> that's like a, a battle. But I feel like tennis players are more like low rung. Like wow. they're like they're like they're like elitist and like asshole. Like the the pickle people, they're just like vibing and having a beer, right? Like pickle pickle is kind of like the bell curve, right? Because like if you intellectualize it too much, you're like, oh, well, this sport is objectively it doesn't get your VO2 you're like the guy like, oh, it's not a sport. But actually it has like all this stuff about it that's like great, that's like not the sport. It's the idea that like men and women can like compete on the same field together and it actually is good and makes sense, which is something that doesn't really exist in any other sport. That's super cool. The social element to it's cool. Like you have to look past these little narrow things that you've intellectualized as like this is what makes a sport, and like outside of that, you like you start like frothing at the. I can't mouth. tell which rung of the ladder you're on right now. You could be very bottom or very top. I'm, o- I'm currently occupying both ends <laughs> of the bell curve simultaneously. Oh. All right, boys, that was a fun episode. I like a little money. We somehow yeah. inserted some geopolitics in there and talked about a good, good little philosophy topic. Yeah, I we'll it. we'll touch more on. I mean, like I said, that was just like chapter one of the book, so. Wow. There's there's a lot in there. There's a lot of good stuff. I think we can kind of keep bringing some. This book is epic for anybody who hasn't who hasn't dug in. Uh, I recommend it. Ten yeah. out of ten. What's yeah. our problem? Highly is the recommend. name of the book. It's digital too, so I think you 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 buy. Yeah, it. I think you can only get it either audiobook or like the iBook digital version, basically. Cool. So, all right, boys. Well, that was fun. Uh, thanks everyone uh, hanging out for us live in the chat. We very much appreciate you. And if you have time next uh, Wednesday, 5 p.m. PST, I feel funny saying this because I won't be here. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I really hope you do join. Uh, I, will, I will try to watch live we'll be if here. I can. You will be will here. Will Armand be here, though? We never know. It's going to get real financial on you bitches. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to have to do the first episode of uh, Irresponsibly Long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> irresponsibly long is that a new teaser Ooh, a teaser i like it all right guys we, we, we decided that's the name of our podcast that we haven't done <laughs> all right guys thanks